Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this book at lunchtime event on Jews, liberalism, anti-Semitism, a global history, a collection edited by Abigail Green and Simon Levis-Sulam. My name is Wes Williams, and I'm the director here at Torch, the Oxford Research Centre of the Humanities. It's a great pleasure to introduce the penultimate book at lunchtime of this academic year. Book at Lunchtime, as regulars will know, is Torch's flagship event series, taking the form of a fortnightly bite-sized book discussion with a range of commentators. Please do take a look at our website and newsletter for further details uh, and also for the full programme next term, which we have already. I'm delighted then for today to welcome Professor Green and Professor Sulam to speak about their book. Also on the panel are Professor Adam Sutcliffe and Dr. K. Hiruta. Jews, Liberalism, Antisemitism, A Global History, explores how the emancipatory promise of liberalism, both shattered and structured by its exclusionary qualities, shaped the fate of Jews in many parts of the world during the Age of Empire. Challenging the European focus of much historiography in this field, this volume, as its title suggests, takes a determinedly global approach. It engages with accounts of recent historical work exploring issues of race, discrimination and hybrid identities in colonial and post-colonial settings. And in so doing, it investigates how liberalism, citizenship, nationality, gender, religion, and race all functioned differently in different European Jewish heartlands, in the Mediterranean peripheries of Spain and the Ottoman Empire, and in the North American Atlantic world. I want to start by introducing the editors first and then the other members of our panel. So first, Professor Abigail Green. I'll wait for her to come on screen. So Abigail, welcome. Abigail is Professor of Modern European History at Brasenose College here in Oxford. Her research, her recent work focuses on international Jewish history and transnational humanitarian activism. She's currently completing a three-year Leverhulme Senior Research Fellowship, working on a new book tentatively entitled Children of 1848, Liberalism and the Jews, from revolutions to human rights. It was tentatively entitled that about a week ago. I don't know whether it's changed since then. I'm sure she'll tell us. Working in partnership with colleagues in the heritage sector, she's also a leading major four-year, leading a major four-year AHRC-funded and torch-supported project on Jewish country houses. As I said, welcome, Abigail. Also editing this book is Professor Simone Levis-Sulam. Again, I'll wait until hello, Simone. Associate Professor of Modern History at Cafoscari in the University of Venice in Italy. His fields of interest include the history of ideas, historiography and culture in Europe between the 19th and the 20th century. His particular focus is nationalisms and fascism in the history of the Jews and of anti-Semitism. Among his many publications, there is most recently The Italian Executioners, The Genocide of Jews in Italy. These then are our editors. The other two members of today's panel are Professor Adam Sutcliffe. I'll wait till Adam arrives. Hello, Adam. Professor of European History and co-director of the Centre for Enlightenment Studies at King's College London. Focusing on the intellectual history of Western Europe between approximately 1650 and 1850 and on the history of Jews, Judaism and Jewish-non-Jewish relations in Europe from 1600 to the present, Professor Sutcliffe's many publications include the wide-ranging study entitled, What are Jews for? History, Peoplehood and Purpose. And finally, but not least, uh, Dr. Kay Hiruta. Kay, 
Hello. Assistant Professor and AIAS Co-Fund Fellow at the Aarhus Institute of Advanced Studies at Aarhus University in Denmark, Kays for Research lies at the intersection of political philosophy and intellectual history. His particular focus is on theories of freedom in modern political thought, and his book, Hannah Arendt and Isaiah Berlin, Freedom, Politics and Humanity, will be published by Princeton University Press this coming autumn. So, as you see, we have quite the panel today, and we'll start the discussion with a brief reading by Abigail from the book. Afterwards, our commentators will present their thoughts coming at it from their particular disciplines. We'll then give Professor Levis Sulam the chance to respond to some of the points raised before entering into what promises to be a really interesting collective discussion, during which we'll also address questions from you, the audience. So please do put them in the Q&A box, ideally, rather than the chat as we go along. But that's enough intro from me. So for now, I'll hand over to Abigail to get things going for real and to disappear from your screens. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um... Where So um, I'm going to start things off by uh, reading from the book. Um, so it's not quite the opening, but very near the opening. Page two, in fact. Explaining how the devastation that was the Holocaust could have emerged from the heart of modern European civilization remains a central problem in Jewish history. And yet, for the historical profession writ large, the frame of reference has shifted. This book represents both a response to this development and an attempt to move beyond it. We seek to reimagine a field shaped by European experiences and paradigms in the light of a relatively recent historiographical moment that has, quote, provincialized Europe and begun to explore issues of race, discrimination and hybrid identities in colonial and post-colonial settings without taking much account of Jews or the Holocaust. In so doing, we aim to integrate some of the established preoccupations of Jewish historiography, which have traditionally been studied in national, local and primarily European contexts with the new perspectives opened up by transnational history and the global and imperial turn. The time is ripe for such a project. The relationship between Jews, liberalism and anti-Semitism is a staple of modern Jewish history. Peter Pulser first attempted to skirt the contours of this field in a properly historical manner when he argued in 1964 that, quote, the dominant ideology of this period, as we have seen, was liberalism. A study of the theoretical content of anti-Semitism will show us that it represented, in the first place, a reaction against this ideology. Werner E. Mosse took a similar line, arguing that the place of Jews in modern German history was shaped above all by the conflict between liberalism and nationalism as fundamentally opposing forces. As products of the German-Jewish symbiosis, who fled their respective hometowns when the Nazis came to power, Pulzer and Mosse believed that liberalism, with which they identified, and nationalism, which had persecuted them, were fundamentally incompatible. This view reflected an understanding that nationalism was itself an ideology, not just a flexible political language that could sit within different ideological currents. Most powerfully articulated in Hannah Arendt's famous study of totalitarianism, it was both a response to the Holocaust 
and a product of the Cold War moment. 30 years after Pulzer's pioneering study, two landmark volumes redefined modern Jewish history for a generation. The contributions to assimilation and community and paths of emancipation represent the collective achievement of a new wave of revisionist historians. These volumes have stood the test of time, but they do not speak to the historical sensibilities of the 21st century. Our task is to reconnect the concerns of that historiographical generation and the pioneers that preceded it with those of our globalised and fragmented world. So I'm now going to pass over to Kay. Okay, thanks Abigail and uh, thanks also to the TORCH team for inviting me to this panel. I'm not a specialist on Jewish history. I am a political theorist, so what I'm going to do is to tell how this volume might appear to people with my disciplinary background, that is those of us who are especially interested in the liberalism part of the complicated story of Jews, liberalism and antisemitism. The study of liberalism has been a thriving area of research in recent years. Oxford can claim some credit for it, thanks largely to Professor Michael Frieden, who has done more than anybody else to establish the study of political ideologies as an academic discipline. His pioneering effort has been followed by a number of recent studies, many of which are discussed in this book. As Abigail and Simone write in the introductory chapter, the rapidly growing literature on liberalism tends to ignore Jewish contributions. Of course, individual Jewish figures are discussed, but their Jewishness is usually dismissed as irrelevant, as a negligible piece of biographical information. In fact, if Jewish people appear collectively at all in the mainstream literature on liberalism, they typically do so in one of the two ways. First, they sometimes appear as beneficiaries of liberal reforms. On this view, Jews enjoyed the fruits of liberalism without doing much to contribute to its development. Second, Jews sometimes appear because they are supposed to have posed a challenge to liberals. Here, Jews are understood in religious terms and the question that liberals faced was whether this religious minority could be accommodated in a liberal polity. In both cases, the liberal conversation about citizenship, toleration, equality, and so on is alleged to have happened independently of Jewish life. Abigail and Simone's volume poses a powerful challenge to this supposed Jewish passivity. It discusses various roles that Jews actively played in the development of liberalism from its earliest days to the present. I cannot give a summary of the rich and varied stories told in the book, partly because Jewish liberals have often vigorously disagreed with each other, but also because the book covers a very large geographical area. The scope of the book is indeed a little overwhelming, as readers are presented with histories of Jewish communities from Istanbul and Ohan to Vienna, Milan, Cincinnati and Jamaica. But if the book as such induces a sense of disorientation, that is entirely appropriate because one of its goals is precisely to broaden, diversify and globalize our understanding of both liberalism and the Jewish history. As Abigail and Simone nicely put it, 
the book aims to provincialize Europe in a Jewish key. One important feature of the book I want to highlight is that it neither praises nor condemns liberalism in a simplistic way. Unsurprisingly, liberalism is sometimes discussed in a positive light. In chapter 11, for example, Yarantar discusses how several distinct Jewish communities creatively appropriated the liberal principle of the rule of law to fight the notorious blood libel accusations in Damascus in 1840. But sometimes liberalism is discussed from a more critical angle. For example, Simon Salam's chapter considers how the liberal critique of dictatorial power inadvertently contributed to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Jews' active roles in the development of liberalism are similarly discussed in a normatively complicated manner. Simply put, Jews' roles are complicated because liberalism itself is normatively complicated. If Jews played key roles in some of its crowning achievements, some of the crowning achievements of liberalism, they also played important roles in some of its failings. Overall, this volume avoids both liberal triumphalism and crude anti-liberalism, incorporating a range of perspectives in a balanced manner. So these are some of the strengths of the book, and I can go on to list more strengths to tell how much I enjoyed reading it. But time is limited, so I'd like to end my remarks with a question. The question is about the audience of the book. I understand that the primary target audience are specialists in Jewish history, and I have no doubt that they will read the book and discuss it for years to come. But the book is clearly intended to reach a wider audience, including social scientists doing research on various minority groups. In fact, the book invites us to think comparatively about the Jewish experience because the dialectic of inclusion and exclusion that have confronted Jewish people have also confronted other minority groups, albeit in very different ways. I think this is an important invitation, and I do hope that scholars outside as well as inside the community of Jewish historians will undertake such comparative study. But will they actually do so? Will the book reach the wide audience that it deserves? I think there are grounds for both optimism and pessimism. Much of my optimism comes from the recent global turn in the humanities, where a new generation of scholars are doing innovative research, connecting different parts of the world that used to be studied separately. My pessimism, on the other hand, comes from my view that academia does not provide a sufficient incentive for time-consuming interdisciplinary work. And most of us are just too busy trying to keep up with new publications in our respective disciplines. So my question for Abigail and Simone is how optimistic or pessimistic you are about the prospect of the book reaching a wide audience and stimulating cross-disciplinary conversation. And if you share a slight sense of pessimism with me, what do you think we can do to make things better and facilitate scholarly interaction across disciplinary divides? So that's, I'll, I'll end there. And uh, next, Adam will give his comments on the book. Adam. Hello, everyone can hear me and see me, I hope. Well, so Kay uh, is the liberalism person on uh, the panel. I guess I'm the Jews person, so to speak. 
Uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to start my comments with the question, what is liberalism? Or to rephrase that in a flagrantly question begging form, how liberal is it or was it as we talk about history? Over the past couple of decades, influenced by the global and critical trends in scholarship, and in the light above all of liberalism's deep implication with imperialism, historians' consensus answer to the second question has become not much. Jews have historically been closely linked with liberalism. Jewish emancipation was the banner campaign of the liberal drive towards a more secular and principled shaping of European politics. Bourgeois Jews in 19th century Europe were widely seen as the most fervent enthusiasts for liberal institutions and values. And the rise of political antisemitism, as uh, Abigail's extract that she read out highlighted, has commonly been interpreted as uh, quite centrally a rejection of liberalism. So, where do these interpretations of the Jewish past fit with this more critical reappraisal of liberalism? This, as I see it, is the core question of Abigail Green and Simon Levis-Sullum's ambitious, admirable, and stimulating volume. The notion of a synergy between Jews and liberalism, as Abigail very pithily puts it um, in her chapter, is here subjected, as it were, to a 17-chapter stress test in the light of recent historiographical trends, enabling us to assess to what extent we need to revise our understanding of the relationship between liberalism and Jewish history. I can't possibly mention all the goodies in this collection, which ranges widely in time and place, as Kay already said, from uh, just to take some uh, tantalizing outriders from the liberal look of Sephardic male fashions of dress in the early 19th century Caribbean through to the distinctive place of gentry nationalism in the imperial liberal thought of Louis Namier, the eminent um, immigrant historian in Britain. So I'll limit myself to touching briefly on two of the book's five sections, the first and the last. And the first one is titled The Limits of Liberalism, and thus speaks very directly to those historiographical trends I've just been talking about. Both Lisa Moses Leff, looking at the later, uh, later 19th century Romania and Algeria, and Simon Levis Sulem discussing the 1873 pamphlet, The Conquest of the World by Jews, by Osman Bey, an English convert to Islam, show how fervent hostility to Jews could and did coexist with a wider embrace of liberal political values. And this is very interesting and important for us to know, but I'm not entirely sure whether filing this awareness under the limits of liberalism is quite adequate. I feel there's a suggestion in the way this is framed by the book uh, that when we face the apparent oxymoron of liberal antisemitism, um, it's liberalism, as it were, that needs to take the strain by being recognized as, well, less liberal, to put it very crudely. Shouldn't we also, though, rethink antisemitism as a more complex and varied phenomenon, which needs to be understood, particularly in places like Romania and other highly polarized societies discussed by left, needs to be understood in relation to particular local economic and cultural realities of Jewish, non-Jewish relations. The final section opens with Abigail Green's tracing I'm guessing as a sort of anticipation of the book we were uh, told about in the introduction, the tracing of the long afterlife of 1848, which she, she sees as the crystallizing moment of Jewish liberal synergy, um, in the close interplay between Jewish and liberal political causes through to the humanitarian activism of the early 20th century. And the final two chapters of the book broadly align with her argument and trace distinctively Jewish currents of liberalism forward into the interwar period and the Cold War. 
Now, I don't directly disagree with anything in these three essays, all, all three of which I think are really interesting and stimulating. But I do have some nagging questions, which I'm going to offer now in the spirit of friendly uh, provocation. And they really relate to what's perhaps left out and thereby misemphasized by um, the framing of the book and its ending in particular. Firstly, I'd like to ask, where does liberalism sit alongside the many other synergies, as it were, that have been identified with modern Jews? Jews certainly punched above their white weight in socialist and communist movements um, that were often the leading adversaries of liberalism. And what about the relationship, close relationship between Jews and capitalism? To what extent is that intertwined or even shaping aspects of Jewish liberalism? And where does Judaism, um, i.e. religion, fit in this story? So the danger, it seems to me, in plucking out Jewish liberalism uh, for special attention is that it can lead to a rather congratulatory narrative in which Jews are presented not so much in, the, in their cacophonous diversity, uh, but as at their core, progressive contributors to liberalism's noble causes. Um, I also think that the potent symbolism of Jewish causes within liberalism seems at least as significant, um, maybe much more significant than Jewish liberal agency. Protection of Jews typically mattered to liberals for reasons that were ultimately rooted, I think, in Christian messianism. Jewish political leaders from Montefiore and Cremieux to the Zionist movement became adept at appealing to the philo-Semitic tendencies uh, that I think were very important in liberalism. And given that anti-Semitism is one of the key terms of the book, uh, I think that that Philo-Semitism in liberalism ought perhaps to have been given a bit more attention. And finally, what about Zionism? This central stand of modern Jewish politics does appear a couple of times in the book, uh, but it isn't central by any means. Liberal Zionism, though, is certainly today the most discussed strain of Jewish liberalism, um, as particularly Jewish. And it is also today, at best, I would say, on life support. In historical terms, the currents within Zionism that might be designated liberal, even if they didn't describe themselves as such, have almost always been outweighed by rival socialist, religious, revisionist, and ultra-nationalist Zionist movements. So when I got to the afterword and Samuel Moyne's uh, comments there in the afterword, who I normally agree with, um, I was really startled in all honesty to read him write, and I presume this was written in the twilight of the Trump era, he wrote, Quote, uh, in Israel and the United States, trailed far behind by a handful of other states, um, Jews are provided with unprecedentedly safe liberal citizenship. Well, I guess he's thinking of something rather different um, by liberalism than I am, because I can think of several places where liberalism seems far more secure uh, than in the United States. And as for Israel, its synergies today are surely very clearly with illiberal ethno-nationalism. Jewish liberalism, insofar as contemporary Jewish politics, at least mainstream um, Jewish po politics, is oriented around support for Israel, that liberalism seems to me in very profound crisis. And despite the many strengths of this volume, I feel it doesn't really help us as much as it might have done uh, to explain how we have reached this pass. So those are my questions and provocations. I hand over to Simon now, who I hope will answer them. 
<clears throat> Thank you very much, uh, first of all, to Torch and the uh, University of Oxford for organizing this, uh, this event uh, and to Kihiruta and uh, Adam Sutcliffe for their contribution, their provocative questions and their generous reading of the volume. Of course, uh, I have uh, five minutes to answer to all the important questions that were uh, 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 risen, and I think uh, this is uh, uh, too much of a task. Uh, this is uh, not a surprise uh, as we have uh, scholars uh, uh, of uh, Arendt and Berlin, uh, like Kihiruta, and uh, a major expert of uh, the Enlightenment tradition uh, uh, from uh, starting at least from Mendelssohn and uh, modern Jewish history and the history of ideas uh, uh, that have uh, read the book and uh, asked uh, important questions. I think uh, we could go back uh, since uh, uh, one of the presences in the book is also uh, Hannah Arendt uh, as a Jew and perhaps uh, uh, somebody who in part at least uh, recognized herself in a liberal tradition. Uh, certainly this was true of Berlin, but if we stick to Arendt, uh, many will recall the opening of the origins of totalitarianism chapter one in which uh, she, uh, in which Hannah Rand talks of the unsettling nature uh, of the fact that the uh, small, the seemingly small and unimportant Jewish question or Jewish problem has generated in the 19th, especially the 20th century, well, uh, the uh, movements and developments that then culminated uh, uh, in the uh, machinery of destruction of the final solution. Uh, this is one of the uh, elements which we put at the center of our concerns. Uh, and we open the book uh, looking at uh, what Amos Funkenstein has called the, the dialectics of assimilation, having in mind, of course, uh, at the same time, the dialectics of enlightenment, uh, which uh, was uh, written uh, at the uh, center of the while the Holocaust was taking place, uh, of course, not in Europe, uh, but was, it was written in California, in uh, Malibu, actually, in uh, uh, while the uh, in the emigrate German Jewish community. Uh, the problem is uh, uh, that the promises of uh, of enlightenment, the promises of liberalism, the promises of emancipation, actually. Um, put the Jewish community uh, at the center of a very complex uh, uh, process uh, and experience, uh, which uh, uh, represents, in a sense, uh, in hindsight, uh, the uh, good and bad conscience uh, of, uh, of Europe. Uh, and to this uh, uh, positive and negative process and to this dialectic, uh, the, the Jews uh, have uh, participated in the first person, both as actors, uh, uh, including uh, as a nationalist, uh, uh, and this is even more so true uh, much later in the second half of the 20th century, as Adam was pointing to uh, in the form of uh, the Zionist uh, ethno-nationalist, ethno-nationalism and the troubles it has uh, generated, um, uh, and, uh, and also, of course, uh, as victims uh, of these uh, processes uh, through anti-Semitism. Uh, I cannot answer uh, the Kantian uh, question with which uh, Adam Sutcliffe began, what is liberalism? Uh, not what is enlightenment, but what is liberalism? And what are the limits of liberalism? If I can uh, 
combine the questions by Key and Adam, uh, yes, we have uh, tried to look at the exclusionary nature of uh, liberalism, and we indeed hope that this uh, uh, effort uh, may be of interest and can be applied as is already the case, because we were able to avail ourselves of an existing literature to other uh, experiences of religious uh, cultural minority uh, in Europe and uh, well, uh, well beyond it. Uh, I entirely agree that the synergy of Jews and liberalism, as Adam was pointing out, is a problematic one. I am, as I said before, and as I always say jokingly to my co-editor, more interested in the bad guys and I uh, mean in the anti-Semites, that was my uh, uh, modest contribution to the, to the volume and the project uh, and my uh, personal interest in my work. Uh, and I think that the Jewish contribution to liberalism cannot be uh, and is too often uh, idealized. Um, there is a progressive contribution. Uh, this has also existed in the form of Zionism and and uh, progressive socialist uh, liberal forms of, of, uh, of Zionism. Uh, we have said in a previous uh, uh, um, event around this book, the book launch uh, held in London about a month ago, that when the Jewish experience become a, becomes a state entity, uh, the promise of liberalism uh, is uh, remains unachieved or worse is uh, turned upside down. Uh, so uh, I agree uh, there are uh, uh, this we haven't perhaps faced in the volume. Uh, surprisingly, we haven't uh, we don't devote the chapter to the Holocaust uh, itself. So there are many sort of uh, uh, dark uh, or dead uh, dead angles or. Uh, uh, uncovered chapters. Um, I hope, uh, as uh, uh, Kihiruta was saying, that we have uh, given a contribution to uh, uh, his, uh, uh, the historicization of this process uh, beyond idealization, beyond uh, 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 a critique uh, of liberalism and the Jewish experience, an attack on it, uh, or beyond uh, the uh, uh, victimary or uh, the victim victimary paradigm that, or the lacrimose version of Jewish history. And I, I entirely agree with uh, Adam Sutcliffe's uh, invitation to historicize uh, and contextualize uh, both uh, the liberal and the, both the experience of liberalism uh, and the Jews and the experience of antisemitism. And I think uh, we will be able to uh, build a stronger uh, experience of liberalism and a stronger Jewish experience, uh, if we're interested in that, uh, 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 if we uh, uh, insist on the lesson of history through historicization. Thank you. I, I now turn the floor to a Q&A, I think. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much, Simon. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think at this stage we should invite uh, everybody back uh, to, the, to the screen. Um, and I suppose, um, Abigail, we should probably start by giving you um, some sort of right of reply beyond your reading at the beginning. Um, there were some terrific uh, questions, responses from both Kay and from Adam there. I don't know if you, and of course, Simon, thank you for your res initial response. Abigail, I don't know if you want to add anything at this stage before we sort of move into a more of a free for all. 
I do actually. Um, I think maybe uh, I, I want to just pick up on, on this point um, Adam raised about liberal Zionism, because I think maybe Adam has a more benign view of liberalism than I do, in the sense that as a 19th century historian, I see liberal liberalism and nationalism as being deeply fused. I've got no difficulty in seeing people like Treitschke as working completely within a liberal tradition. I think that's also the message of Lisa Leff's book that these, I mean, not book, the chapter, that the, the, these Romanian Jewish, uh, not the, the Romanian nationalists, people like Bratiano, um, are absolutely liberal nationalists in a quite aggressive way. And I was very persuaded by Ozan, who wrote the chapter on the Young Turks, that if we're going to think globally about liberalism, we have to look at these other liberalisms, which are more nationalist in a way which we can identify, I think, more clearly with the Israeli right. For instance, the Young, you know, he, the Young Turks chapter engages with Yabotinsky as a kind of Jewish liberal, which is certainly not something which I think you would do. So I suppose I'm, I'm just picking up on that point. So for me, in fact, important aspect which emerged in the book was that we have to think about these other liberalisms we can't just look at the kind of progressive left liberalisms, which we might prefer to engage with. Thank you, Adam. Do you want to reply to that? Yes, I think that's very interesting. But I guess the question then, that's well, there are a couple of questions that that poses. One is, <laughs> sort of, what isn't liberalism? What is what is liberal arguing against in the nineteenth century that becomes so capacious that it essentially is the uh, overwhelming consensus of uh, politics? in that time. I think there's, but I think within that vein that you're suggesting, I mean, I would have liked uh, Lisa Left to go, go further. I mean, if you look, I mean, working on, building on, say, Albert Lindemann's writing on Romanian anti-Semitism and the fact that many Jews in Romania had arrived relatively recently, were very focused in, in, in the urban areas in the particular economic niche. The, 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 re the rhetoric of anti-Semitism is very similar then I would say to you know economic mig well not economic migrants so much but you know f foreigners who uh, um, should not be um, uh, considered of um, in the same way as locals in mainstream uh, politics today. So what that really does then is to rethink anti-Semitism and to show how some of the ideas that we tend to when we use the word anti-Semitism in the context of Romania in the nineteenth century as was done at the time, it brings this instantaneous recall and shudder and, you know, highway to the Holocaust set of associations. I would have liked to see the book bring home to the extent to which, uh, in fact, those rhetorics are, are very uh, familiar in sort of liberal um, thought uh, towards foreigners um, in much of the world um, in, in mainstream politics today. The other, um, responses, surely uh, within the Jewish sphere, particularly within Zionism, uh, there have been bitter arguments between, at the very least one would say, the more liberal uh, Jews and the more nationalist Jews. And I would see, going back to say Adha'am and his polemics against uh, uh, um, Claude Montefiore in England, uh, liberal Judaism, as the beginnings of more than a century of Zionism in various ways, 
uh, uh, putting itself forward as a movement of self-assertion, of Jewish self-interest, of nationalism, opposed to a set of universalist uh, values uh, identified with liberalism. Uh, and so that um, internal argument within Judaism, which has now been won mostly in the Jewish sphere uh, by the right, by anti-liberals, I think that's a really, to me, that's the really important story about Jews and liberalism in the, from the late, from the 20th, from the beginning of the 20th century to the present. Go for it. Abby, I can see you're about to respond. Well, I could respond, but other people may have things to say. So I suppose um, one of the things we talk about in the, in the introduction is the difference between looking primarily at the Jewish narrative as the focus of experience or taking a view which looks at the relationships between Jews and other people. So this kind of, I know you think the kind of particularism versus universalism is kind of the key challenge. Um, but I would say that it's you don't just want to think about it as an internal Jewish debate, because in most places before um, the foundation of the State of Israel is taking place in conversation with other contexts mm. and groups, of course. Mm. Simon. Yes, I, I, I wanted to say that I agree with uh, uh, Adam's uh, warning about uh, not using liberalism as a blanket concept that can sort of include too many things. And this is perhaps true also, as he was warning us of anti-Semitism. And I recently discussed in the book of David Nirenberg, Anti-Judaism, which was widely discussed worldwide. Anti-Judaism, the Western tradition, runs in part this risk as it goes back to the Christian roots of anti-Semitism sort of makes anti-Judaism a, a persistent category uh, and filter through which the West has looked at the, the Jewish questions, etc. And uh, so there are elements of uh, uh, the risk of, uh, well, even bigger risks in the case of uh, using a blanket concept of anti-Semitism or anti-Judaism, since that's a centuries uh, long tradition, while liberalism, one cannot uh, uh, dated back uh, before uh, Locke, or, uh, uh, but uh, it's clear to me that, uh, yes, uh, we, we have to be very careful. Uh, but after all, uh, uh, the, the need for uh, contextualization, historicization is true also in the case of Ahadam, because of, that you were bringing up, uh, Adam, because Ahadam, after all, was one of the few who uh, pictured and was able to see a, a Jewish, a, a, sorry, an Arab, uh, Arab presence uh, uh, in Palestine, uh, in his gaze, uh, in his uh, Zionist writings, uh, uh, one of the few in the Zionist movement at large, in, at least as far as I know. So uh, I, the, there were elements of uh, uh, Lockean toleration in his gaze, perhaps. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wonder if I could bring Kay back into this discussion, partly by picking up, now this may not work Kay, so just tell me if this is not something you've thought about, but I was struck by one theme that emerged here, which was that once liberalism gets bound up with a particular state project, then it becomes something different. Um, uh, and I wondered if that's something that you as a political philosopher, Kay, have thought about, 
um, is, is a kind of the, the shift. I mean, obviously, one can talk particularly about the state of Israel, but one can also talk more broadly as to whether liberalism is, in a sense, always... Uh, it, it, uh, I'm coming at it from, from your understanding of the kind of minority, you talked about minorities within particular uh, political polities. And I wondered where, where, if liberalism was always on the side of the minority, and if that then shifted once it became a state project, or whether I'm just going up a garden path that is um, not particularly useful here. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's probably true that liberalism um, changes uh, if it transforms itself from a kind of um, grassroots popular movement, as it were, into something else, which is a state ideology. But I think that is just true of all political ideology. I mean, if you think about socialism or communism or, um, you know, conservatism, all of those other ideologies, they do change depending on whether they have power or they don't. So I, I think in that sense, um, it's true, what you said is true, um, but it's not unique to liberalism. But I was interested in something um, slightly different um, about Adam's comments, um, not on the individual comments, but the way Adam raised those questions. It seems to me that Adam might have a slightly more um, kind of present, presentist um, approach when reading this book. I think it seems like you're thinking about how this book might illuminate contemporary issues in the 21st century. Whereas my impression is that Simone and Abigail are trying to do something a lot more contextualist and try to think about different contexts in which we can think about um, this um, set of issues on Jews, liberalism and anti-Semitism. And, and I wonder if um, the kind of a little difference between you might emerge from this um, contextualist versus um, presentist approach to history. Adam, do you, would you like to respond to that? You're, you're muted. Um, yes, that's interesting, Kate. Thank you. I, I hope I'm not presentist in the sense that I'm trying to um, subordinate to thinking about the past to the present. But I am presentist, but I think we all should be and must be in that uh, history is interestingly important in how it relates uh, to the present. And that, that seems to be, to my mind, clearly invited you know, by a book that approaches the present, comes very, very close in its detailed discussion, then has an afterword that does discuss the present. Um, so, um, I, and also the topic of liberalism, it seems to me this is a word that is so central to our political debate today. It is not an option to be somehow sort of Olympianly neutral about it, I think meaningfully as a scholar and as a thinking person. So I'd like to sort of turn your question to me into a question to Abigail and, and, and Simon and say, well, what is the politics of how you are trying to get us to think about liberalism in your book? I and mean, you talked, Abigail, about Werner Mossi, for example, and Peter Pulzer, indeed, um, you know, more, um, who were uh, committed to liberalism and saw, uh, and, and, and I guess, in a sense, saw their historical work also as a fortification of the value of German Jewish universalist liberalism against the horrors of nationalism that reached their apogee with the Holocaust, but was still have still been with us since. Um, you're moving, I think, to a more critical way of thinking about liberalism, I think. But to what um, is that right? And if so, to what end? What what do you want us to do with thinking about liberalism more critically? 
Uh, Abigail? Simon, I mean, well, I was just going to say that I actually think the politics of the different contributors to this volume um, were varied. And in a way, that's the merit of a collaborative project. So someone like Malachi Hakohen has a very different politics from, uh, I don't know, Matt Silver or Simon, in fact, or me. So um, in that sense, I don't think we could identify, um, maybe that's, maybe it's because it's not a single author book. It doesn't have it, it, that kind of politics, but perhaps that's also its merit, because I think in the conclusion, I mean, not the conclusion, the introduction, you know, we sat for six months putting this uh, book together with these people. We spoke to them every week. Um, so we know where they disagree with us. But I think, you know, there was a clear sense that there were certain themes which did emerge and where we did find common ground and sometimes were surprised to do so. So in that sense, I think it would be, you know, we're not a group of, I mean, we're a group of people from all over the world dealing with different kinds of liberal politics in a contextualized way and different kinds of nationalist politics in a contextual, I mean, when we were there, it was when Trump came to power, actually. So, you know, that was very much a context. Um, but people, you know, had different kinds of anxiety, I suppose. And I have to say, when I was editing chapters, I tended to ask people to remove, you know, some people, particularly the people writing about the, the modern era, tended to end with slightly pious comments, questions and comments about what might Jewish liberals do now. And I tended to remove them because I just didn't think that was actually the point of the volume. Um, so it, I think it's harder for a collaborative volume, which has, what, 16 different contributors mm. who didn't know each other in advance to have, you know, and some of whom weren't actually there for the whole period, like Ozan and, and, and Yaron, to have a kind of collective politics. But I don't know that that devalues. Can I pick up on this um, notion of or the, the, the kind of the collective volume idea, but also the different, the, if you like, internal differences between different uh, communities to ask, uh, to pick up one of the questions that's come in. Uh, this is from Marcus Hallside uh, asking, could you briefly compare, I think, uh, I mean, generically, the approach of the Ashkenazi and Sephardi Jewish communities uh, to the concept of Jewish liberal nationalism? In other words, is there something that one can say that distinguishes those two as two different approaches. Uh, and this question is, it, it says, um, both pre and post state. It's asking a lot, but I'm wondering if one of you might want to take it on. I, I would leave that answer to Abigail, uh, but I wanted to answer first uh, briefly to Adam's more general question, if I may. Yeah, of course. And, and wanted to do so as somebody with an interest in the history of, of historiography and say, since the name of uh, uh, Mosse was brought up, uh, uh, it's the case, uh, the references to Werder Mosse, the historian of, uh, of German uh, Jewish economy. But actually, uh, I have in mind uh, George Mosse, who, uh, with his own uh, biography and autobiography, uh, that is uh, supremely uh, incarnated by his own uh, autobiography, Confronting History, uh, and his uh, historiographical production, uh, there you see. Uh, both uh, the idealization of the German Jewish experience uh, through the reconstruction of the Bildung uh, of the German Jews uh, and of their uh, and of the German Jewish symbiosis, uh, 
and the constant preoccupation uh, with the haunting question about the Holocaust, which uh, uh, George Moses says, uh, in, in each of my pages, uh, uh, behind each of my pages, uh, 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 my historical oeuvre is the question, why the Holocaust? And I think this is in part true of this volume, uh, that the, one of the haunting ghosts of the volume is, in uh, one of the missing chapter is the Holocaust, uh, 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 and it's interesting, we, have, we haven't found an author who explicitly uh, has devoted, uh, uh, and we haven't looked for an author who would uh, deal with this question in and of itself, I guess, because uh, uh, the Holocaust is the, uh, the, the, the opposite, the, 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 the most tragic uh, opposite to liberalism. But at the same time, we have interrogated liberalism and antisemitism, avoiding teleology uh, with uh, that question in mind, as every, I think, historian and citizen uh, has to do. Uh, and uh, we have uh, still looked beyond the Holocaust of the Cold War, at aspect of Zionism, at the fact that the Holocaust uh, produced uh, millions of de deaths and also produced uh, uh, a, a Jewish uh, statehood with its own uh, problems uh, and new uh, challenges for Jewish uh, for the Jewish experience in again paradoxically intertwining or unsurprisingly perhaps because we don't believe like Rocha that history is the history of freedom uh, facing again the questions of uh, liberalism uh, and uh, uh, particularism uh, minority rights uh, toleration and uh, violence uh, uh, Okay, thank you. Um, I think we were, uh, Simon, we were also, oh, okay, back to Abby. Uh, I wondered if, if I should have a go at the question about Svadim and Ashkenazim, if only to say that I, I think we are contextualists, actually, so I wouldn't deal with those groups as big blocks, because I think you would find that the view of uh, Eastern European Ashkenazim, well, there are, as, as Adam has suggested, there are different currents within all kinds of Zionism, but also, you know, the Ashkenazi community, we might be talking, not in the case of Claude Montefiore, but I'm sure we could identify anti-Zionists who are quite liberal, liber Lucien Wolf, for example, um, in uh, Britain, and then you, you would have other, you know, other voices in America, like maybe Brandeis, and so on. So I think it's really hard to, to generalize. And I would emphasize that Sephardic world is also extremely fragmented and different. And so people have different attitudes depending on where they are. I'm not competent to talk about the evolution in the state of Israel after 1948, but obviously that's not the subject of this book. If I may add just something about this uh, Ashkenazi and Sephardic divide, uh, it applies perhaps less uh, to the modern period, uh, but we have tried to challenge uh, the uh, relatively Ashkenazi-centric uh, uh, perspective on modern Jewish history, which has been promoted by uh, the centrality of German-Jewish uh, scholars uh, in Jewish historiography, uh, uh, by bringing in uh, uh, next to the uh, Francophone, uh, Sephardic, uh, and uh, Ashkenazi experience of the French emancipation, the 
mostly Ashkenazi experience of the uh, German heartlands, the German speaking languages, heartlands of Europe, uh, Ashkenazi experience. Uh, we have brought in Spain, we have brought in the Ottoman Empire in which uh, the Sephardi uh, milieu prevails and has produced different forms of engagements with the liberalism, both coming from uh, the context in which Jews operated and from uh, interpretations of the Jews by the Jews of the liberal experiences in those contexts, which are uh, mostly Sephardi and are sort of uh, generally excluded in the mainstream outlook or gaze on the modern Jewish and even the early modern Jewish experience in Jewish historiography. Yes, I think, I think um, that's clearly, I mean, just as a complete um, uh, novice really to this area, it was one of the most striking things about the book that, that your sense of uh, global also, I don't want to overstate this, but in a sense deconstructed to some degree the, the opposition between Sephardic and, and Ashkenazi in a way with that, or at least didn't want to lead with that as a kind of primary, primary narrative about Jewish identity. But Adam, you've been waiting patiently for a while, so I'll bring you back in here. I just wanted to jump in picking up on what someone said about the Holocaust and maybe tying it back to this Ashkenazic Sephardic question, because it's interesting that I think in some way the reason maybe the Holocaust has haunted like a ghost over your book, but you didn't um, address it full frontally, is that it's in tension with the global aspirations of the book, because of course the Holocaust happened in Europe, is centered around German history, and has been central to the extremely Germanocentric, Western European-centric yeah. narratives of Jewish history that you're trying to uh, move away from. And uh, Sephardic Jews, mostly, obviously not entirely, if you think of places like Greece, but by and large, the Holocaust did not happen to them. Um, and, and, and so, uh, thinking about uh, the strands of, 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 of Jewish thought in relation to politics and liberalism, uh, the Holocaust does not actually uh, loom centrally uh, for all Jews in the same way, to say the very least. And indeed also liberalism. Um, the book very nicely brings out how um, the late Ottoman Empire you know, was influenced by liberalism in an important way, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Sephardic Israelis arriving there from, you know, North Africa or certainly sort of Iraq, Persia, Afghanistan were not touched by liberalism in anything like the same degree as Western European Jews. The same could be said indeed for Russian Jews, where the, the brush with uh, liberalism um, uh, was much lighter. Uh, and this is why uh, in Israeli politics, um, liberalism, as I would see it, has been aligned with a sort of German, Western European, Labour, Zionist uh, current that is now, you know, squeezed to, you know, a minuscule fraction of um, the political spectrum in, in Israel. I mean, Jew, Jewish politics in Israel is not liberal. Um, Abigail, you'd like to come back in here. We've got about five more minutes, I think. So, yeah. Well, I suppose, I mean, in a way, related to that, I wondered if Kay could talk to us a bit about republicanism uh, and how that relates to liberalism, because it seems to me that republicanism, which I do think is in liberal republicanism, was very important in 1848, actually. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, it maybe 
so I suppose I'd like him to talk because we I have had a conversation with Kay about whether Arendt is really a liberal or whether she's a Republican and how one can interpret her Republicanism. And I think that is actually maybe relevant also to um, the other liberalisms um, and maybe to the situation in Israel, because I do want to point out that, I mean, a lot of those liberal nationalisms from 1848 did not turn out very well. And that's part of that dynamic. So I really think that um, I'm, I'm obviously much more sceptical than Adam is about the universalist kind of more theoretical dimensions of liberalism. I think liberalism is always about citizenship and then often linked to republicanism, which can have a much more aggressive political aspect. Okay, you've been asked whether you might give us a few thoughts on republicanism uh, in this context. Well, I have only one or two minutes, it's a bit difficult, but um, I think the important question here is the how different republicanism is from liberalism, because there is a way of understanding which says liberalism and republicanism are basically kind of rivals, they are um, opposed to each other. But there is another way of understanding it, which is to think of them as kind of um, brothers or cousins. Um, they come from similar sources, emerged in response to overlapping events. And I think, once again, in contemporary political theory, there are different versions of liberalism. For example, Hannah Rents one is one thing, which is very different from Philip Pettit's version, which came from Quentin Skinner's um, historical work. And some republicanisms are more liberal than others. And that is true of contemporary political theory and also true of more historical versions of republicanism. So I think it would perhaps have been interesting if there was another chapter on um, liberal republicanism and the Jews in the book. Um, because I think what you would be interested in is this version of republicanism that is very hard to separate from liberalism. And it's once again, it's a kind of um, general phenomenon in, in, in that um, often different ideologies have so much overlap, it's really difficult to distinguish between the two. If you think about socialism and liberalism, even some versions of liberalism comes very, very close to socialism. And uh, likewise, some version of, versions of liberalism comes very close to um, a version of republicanism. I so, think. Okay, thank you so much. I mean, that's, in a sense, this is part of the point of these um, uh, sessions, especially for those of us who are not experts in the field, is to have a kind of mini tutorial like this on various different aspects of, of the question. Um, we are running out of time, but I want to give people a chance to say, you know, one or two more things if they are feeling uh, very strongly that they need to or want to. Um, I'll start, um, perhaps I'll go sort of in reverse order. I'll start with Adam, um, uh, reverse order just simply of what's on my screen. Um, Adam, do you, do you wish to say anything sort of, as it were, by way of conclusion? Uh, you don't have to. Final, fi 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 final thought, I've been thinking about, um, I think I am certainly skeptical about the universalistic claims of of, of liberalism, absolutely, and I very much appreciate how how the book, uh, you know, um, de demonstrates that. Um, um, my question is, what one does with that um, politically and and intellectually, because, because we need to then think, you know, what sort of um, um, 
alternative politics and political theory we would, would we want to recommend that in some way addresses what we see as the problems or the hypocrisies, or one want to frame it, of actually existing liberalism in, in most of its forms. I absolutely am skeptical about the um, claims often made in its name that are not um, delivered. Thank you. Um, Kay, did you want to say anything by way of uh, conclusion or farewell, um, or was your mini tutorial enough for us? No, I just very briefly, um, my kind of entry point to Jewish history has been Hannah Arendt, who of course has a very European and a very German perspective on Jewish history. So reading this book has really been interesting because it broadens my um, intellectual horizons. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Uh, Simon. Yes, well, uh, I wanted to reply to Adam that uh, as a historian of the Holocaust in Italy, I of course disagree that uh, your uh, synthetic uh, uh, observation that the Holocaust is uh, mainly Ashkenazi experience, because of course, uh, not only Italy, but the Greek, the Greek Judaism was wiped out. And after all, uh, uh, Anna Arendt has taught us that, that the origins of totalitarianism, there is also imperialism. So uh, the global perspective uh, is not necessarily pushing us uh, in, the sense, in the direction of avoiding uh, the questions about the Holocaust. Thank you. That, in a sense, responds to one of the questions in the in the chat as well. Um, Abigail, you um, get the last word, um, partly because, well, because you're placed in Oxford and this is an Oxford event, but also because it seems to me that one or two of the things that um, have emerged here by way of questions are food for thought for whatever your next book is. In other words, the republicanism question, the where does this go next question and so on, um, you don't have to answer. Uh, you don't have to answer all of these questions in your next book. But I just wondered if you wanted to just conclude um, our reflections here today. Thank you. Well, um, yes, I think about republicanism all the time, actually, um, and um, I am wondering about the relationship between Hannah Arendt's republicanism and 1848. In fact, um, but uh, I think to conclude, I want to come back to the question Kay raised um, at the beginning about how we might persuade people who aren't experts in Jewish history that um, this is something which is relevant also to the study of liberalism more generally. Um, and uh, obviously, I don't know how we might do it, but clearly that was our intention. I suppose publishing it in the Palgrave Critical Studies of Antisemitism and Racism is one way of kind of broadening the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, but um, obviously we hope that, you know, you and anybody else uh, who's watching might wish to engage with it um, and um, use it as a way of thinking about liberalism with your students. Thank you. Well, as, as somebody who works in French, um, I'm used to thinking of books as bon à penser, good to think with. Um, and it seems to me that this is uh, clearly a book that is good to think with, to argue with. Um, and that's going to be part of its strength um, uh, wherever it finds readers. I hope that today we might have found a few more um, amongst uh, the people who uh, regularly turn up to listen to um, uh, Book at Lunchtime. Thank you all for coming. Thank you especially to our panelists um, for a really um, rich and generous uh, discussion. Um, and may I remind everybody else that our next book at lunchtime um, and the final one for this academic year is in two weeks time. And it's um, Patrick McGuinness um, who will be talking about his book, Real Oxford, 
um, with uh, the historian Joanna Innes and also with uh, Dr. Jake Wadham, and we hope one other person to be confirmed as yet. So do come back in a couple of weeks' time where we think about real Oxford. But for today, thank you very much again to our speakers and thank you all for coming. Goodbye. <laughs>